Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Xanadu. Sister muses, come, join me where the land embraces the sea. There is an artist who needs our inspiration to achieve truly great work. And as surely as we are the offspring of Zeus, I tell you that I will go in disguise to help this sonny in his quest for artistic achievement. First, I will not call myself Clio, I will call myself Kira. You've thrown them off the track now. Secondly, I will wear roller skates and leg warmers. You should be as current as today's headlines. And thirdly, I will sport an Australian accent. But I might. I tell you, sisters, by the fires of Hephaestus, I mean, by the fires of all the shrimp and the barbie, I shall help this sunny malign to fulfill his destiny. Suddenly came the dawn. But first, how are we doing? That is the question that I ask at the top of every episode. And last week, I referenced how difficult this time is for us right now in this country, but here's the thing. For the black people in this country and on this planet, living with fear and living with pain and trauma, it's like living with the volume at 11 every second, every day of your damn life. And so I don't I don't wanna make it seem as if these discussions that we're having, these protests that we're having on the street, I don't want it to seem as if this is some sudden change in the atmosphere. These issues have always, of course, They've always been here. We have always, always, always been reckoning with them. It's just a matter of how comfortable we've been with ignoring the fact that black people are being killed on a routine basis by a police system that is inherently, a, it's a white supremacist, it's a racist system, it's, it's inherently broken. And I want to make it clear that this is a Black Lives Matter Show. This is a this is a show that encourages the, the dismantling of the police system. We need something new to take its place. We need to figure out a new fucking way for this country to work. So I'm taking everything. I feel like I was I was you know peddling half measures maybe to a certain extent last week, and I apologize for that if it seemed a little soft. If maybe the punches were a little soft. But here's the thing, if you hear the phrase, if you listen to this show and you hear the phrase Black Lives Matter and you crinkle your nose or you say bullshit out loud, if you're the kind of person who has no problem ignoring everything around you and just telling the world to fuck off, stop listening to the show. I'm not giving you an option. I'm not saying, you know, well, maybe this isn't the show for you. There's no maybe about it. Stop listening to the show. And now that you're gone... I just want to remind everyone, encourage everyone who is still here, that we need to be finding as many ways as possible to help. We need to be helping and we need to be contributing to real change. And I, for my part, I have made a, a, a decision in regards to how this podcast is going to work moving forward. I want to put our focus on the Patreon feed for a second. Now, in, over the last two months, our last two payouts via the Patreon, all of that money, 100% of it, went to the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. I've been talking about that consistently. We have one more payment that we are going to make. Uh, one more payout is going to be directed to the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. That will be at the top of July. And then at the top of August, we are going to start donating 100% of the money we generate through Patreon to Black Lives Matter. And we're not going to apply a time limit to that. 
That is going to be for as long as this show is produced for the next two to three, I don't know how many years. We have a lot of shows to talk about. We have a lot of musicals that have not been discussed at this point. I still feel like we're very much in the early stages of that process. But for however long the process goes on, that's the policy, that's the standard at this point. I think that that is a fine way to begin our contributions, my contributions. I am also, I'm trying to figure out as many ways as I can to help, and I want you to do the same. I want you to do the same. I want you to consider what, where does your, where's your money going? If you don't want to be a Patreon donor, I completely, fine, but like make a direct donation to Black Lives Matter. Donate to organizations like the Loveland Foundation, the National Bail Fund. Look at the Homeless Black Trans Woman Fund via GoFundMe. If you don't have the money, if you can't afford it, it you know, you could be giving very small amounts. It's still money. It's still a contribution. But on top of that, you should also be having discussions about Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Laquan McDonald, Eric Garner. Ramsey Orta is the man who filmed Eric Garner's death and was imprisoned as a result of that decision. And there was a huge piece about Ramsey Orta that was dropped this past week, and I encourage you to look that up online. It is it is a heartbreaking, tragic piece of journalism. I want you to remember these people. I want us to remember George Floyd, of course. That list of people is so incomplete, it's, it's ridiculous. The blood is on our hands, and it's never coming off. It's never coming off. We live in a white supremacist society. The only thing that we can do is to take action in as many ways and as many varied ways as possible. And I am trying my best to figure that out, and I hope that you are too. And so just as a, one final reminder before we move on to the show facts for this week's subject, Xanadu, if you become a Patreon donor, that money is going to be redirected to Black Lives Matter. So I would encourage you to either you can become a Patreon donor or you can donate to them directly, but I think you should be choosing one, one or the other, or both, do both, actually. Just, why not? Why the fuck not, right? If you can afford it, get to it. Just get to it. Okay, enough. Okay, not enough. <laughs> I was about to, oh, I was about to like go into a whole thing of like, it was gonna sound like, oh, okay, let's put that aside. It's never, it's always there. I mean, I'm glad that we can use this show as a way to, you know, entertain ourselves. You know, we take breaks, of course. We recharge, we re-energize, but then you just gotta dip back in. You gotta dive back in and just keep doing the work. So let's do the show facts now. Let's have, let's do this episode. And then once it's done, I, I believe I said this last week, once it's done, let's just keep figuring it out. Let's take some steps. Take a step. Begin, begin, begin. Okay, so show facts. Show me the show facts regarding Xanadu. Xanadu was a 2008 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on July 10th, 2007 at the Helen Hayes Theater and ran for 512 performances. The book was written by Douglas Carter Bean. The book is based on the 1980 Olivia Newton-John Gene Kelly film written by Richard Dennis and Mark Rubel. And that film was inspired by the 1947 Rita Hayworth movie Down to Earth. Now, you know. Music and lyrics were written by Jeff Lynn of Electric Light Orchestra and John Farrar, who wrote a number of hit songs for Olivia Newton-John. Their material, which was originally written for the 1980 film, carried over to the stage musical. This is a jukebox musical, along with additional ELO tunes. So no original material was written for the sake of the show. I don't necessarily mean to place judgment on that fact, maybe I'm placing a little bit of judgment on that fact, but the distinction seemed necessary either way, so we're making it. 
The director of the Broadway production of Xanadu was Christopher Ashley. The musical director was Eric Stern. The choreographer was Dan. This is a hard name. I'm looking at this name, and it is difficult for me to parse out. So Dan, let's say Dan Neches. Let's go with Dan Neches. Scenic design, I apologize, Dan. Scenic design, David Gallo. Projection design, Zachary Borove. Lighting design, Howell Binkley. Sound design, T. Richard Fitzgerald and Carl Casella. Costume design, David Zinn. The original Broadway cast, this is it. This is the full list. I'm not leaving anybody out this time. Carrie Butler, Cheyenne Jackson, Tony Roberts, Jackie Hoffman, Mary Testa, Curtis Holbrook, Anika Larson, Kenita R. Miller, David Tankersley, Marty Thomas, and Andre Ward. Now, some trivia regarding our cast. Jane Krakowski and Cheyenne Jackson starred as Clio and Sonny in a January 2007 workshop slash backers audition and were set to star in the official Broadway production. However, Krakowski's involvement with 30 Rock and Jackson's appearance in the film Hysteria prevented them from following through. James Carpinello appeared on Broadway as Sonny during previews, but a roller skating injury led to his being replaced by Cheyenne Jackson. So just remember that for our show-related ephemera. No offense to Carrie Butler, but who wouldn't want to see Krakowski in this show? She's a gem. That would have been a true, proper star vehicle. Film buffs may recognize Tony Roberts' name from a number of Woody Allen films, as well as Serpico and The Taking of Pelham 1-2-3. Jackie Hoffman's Broadway credits include Prudy Pingleton in Hairspray, that would be Penny's mom in Hairspray, Grandmama in The Addams Family, and Mrs. TV in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. She was replaced by Whoopi Goldberg in this production of Xanadu for a seven-week run. Let's talk about Hairspray for a second. I'm sorry, I don't even have this written down, but Mark Shaman announced online this past week, I believe, or maybe the week before, that Hairspray and Music Theater International have now uh, struck an agreement that the show has to be accurately cast in terms of... <laughs> I can't believe this is a decision that took this long to make, but the black characters in that show now have to be played by black actors. What a revolutionary concept. Oh, goodness. It's no longer permissible for white children or white storefront regional amateur actors to walk around on stage acting... <laughs> acting in black roles that are explicitly referenced as being black. It's right there in the text. It's not subtle. It's not buried. That's what the show's about. So congratulations, Mark Shaman. Mark Shaman really patting himself on the back to a, a very odd, nah, not a, just in a very subtle, soft way. Just like, oh, well, we, we took care of it. Oh, great, great, good for you. You get nothing. You get nothing for me. The, the congratulations, if I, if I... <laughs> If I put that out there a second ago, I'm taking it back. I'm just, shut up. Okay, you did the right thing. It shouldn't have been a matter of doing the right thing. You made your fucking money. You made so much fucking money. Why don't you do a second? Why don't you do me a second and calculate how much fucking money you made off all those goddamn productions? And take that goddamn figure and donate it to Black Lives Matter or a fucking organization that actually does something. What are you fucking doing? I know Mark Shaman's a human being, and I don't mean to, like, turn him into this straw man racist figure or whatever. He's a human being, but he's obviously a human being that is benefiting and profiting off of fucking bullshit, racist bullshit. Fuck you. Fuck you. Anyway... 
Back to our show facts. I, okay, so I want to talk about, <laughs> I do want to talk about the film Hysteria. This is the Cheyenne Jackson film. This is the film that prevented him from initially being on Broadway in Xanadu. So let's talk about the film Hysteria for a second. The IMDb lists it as a 2010 release. So was that thing just sitting in a box for upwards of three years? What was going on with that production schedule? I've seen the trailer for the film, and let me tell you folks, it looks like trash. Something about an intimate high school reunion that's disrupted by a serial killer or maybe supernatural forces. Whatever. It looks awful. This movie is not to be confused with the Hysteria films released in 1965, 1993, total zero awards womp womp before we move on to the plot i was intrigued to learn that following the show's first national tour in 2008 a second national tour was scheduled to begin in september 2019 so that's a big leap isn't it this production would have starred rupaul's drag race contestants ginger minge and jinx monsoon as clio's sisters malpomene and calliope but low ticket sales led to it being canceled the tour was was cancelled. What do you want Ginger and Jinx more at the center of your production if they're meant to be the main draw? Why wasn't one of them... Uh, I don't understand. Why wasn't one of them cast as Clio? Shit or get off the pot, people. The plot, the plot, the plot. Okay, the time, 1980. The place, Venice, Los Angeles, California. Sonny Malone is a struggling artist who, as our tale begins, is putting the final touches on his latest sidewalk mural. The piece depicts the nine Greek muses of ancient myth, but when Sonny notices a mistake he has made, he storms off in a fit of creative frustration. Suddenly, the mural shudders with life, and the muses spring forth. They are alive! Clio, leader of the muses, vows to help Sonny achieve artistic greatness by disguising himself, herself, I should say, by disguising herself as Kira, an Australian woman with a penchant for leg warmers. Operating under an alias is one of the many rules Clio and her sisters must abide by while walking among mortals. There are also, they are also, so not allowed to create their own art? Ah, 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 ah. No creating art of your very own. And they cannot fall in love with a mortal. So says their father, the almighty Zeus. This third and final rule is one Clio's sisters, Melpomene and Calliope, hope to exploit. They cannot stand the fact that Zeus appointed Clio leader of the muses, and so they devise a plot to undermine her. They shall place a curse on Clio and Sonny, ensuring the couple will fall in love and thus condemning their younger sibling to eternal damnation. <laughs> Meanwhile, after successfully convincing him to not commit suicide, Clio inspires Sonny to open his dream venue, a place where all of the artistic fields can come together and live in harmony. It will be a roller disco and it shall be known as Xanadu. Sonny believes there is a venue in LA's Fairfax district that would be perfect, and after letting his finger 
Spurs do the walking, he makes an appointment with the property's owner. Cut to Danny McGuire, an obscenely wealthy industrialist who scoffs in the face of Sonny's fanciful aspirations. Sure, Danny used to be an artist himself, a musician, and sure, he too had dreams of turning Xanadu into a performance space, but that was a long time ago, back when he was in love with a woman named Kitty. A woman named Kitty who looks a lot like Clio? No, it couldn't be the same person, could it? No, could it? Yes. I mean, no. Yes. No. Danny eventually strikes a deal with Sonny, though the terms are pretty rough. If Sonny can manage to fix up Xanadu and have it ready to open in 24 hours, Danny will rake in 75% of the profits while our hero, Sonny, goes home with the remaining quarter. Clio is baffled by these terms, but Sonny assures her that everything will work out. He encourages her to draw some of her own ideas for Xanadu, and after a moment of hesitation, she finds finds herself caught up in the thrill of creation. Malpomene and Calliope descend upon and curse our heroes with the doom spell of love. Mwahahaha! Now that I think about it, wouldn't you... Wouldn't that curse be unnecessary? She's already breaking one of Zeus's gigantic rules. She's creating her own art. Just go to Zeus and tattle on your sister. This script, I will... I will talk about this script and how I feel about it. Clio and her sisters help Sunny fix up Xanadu in record time, but upon realizing she has fallen for a mortal, our heroine becomes determined to face her father and accept his inevitably terrible punishment. She casts aside her Kira alias and confesses everything to Sunny, but he refuses to believe her wild backstory. Disappointed and disgusted with the man she thought she loved, Clio leaves for Mount Olympus and What's this? Malpomene and Calliope have convinced Danny to abandon Xanadu and turn the property into condos? <laughs> Sonny and Danny are shocked to discover Clio was telling the truth upon seeing her fly through the air on the back of a mighty Pegasus. You know, like you do. Danny accepts that Kitty, Kira, and Clio were always one and the same and encourages Sonny to go after a love he foolishly abandoned long ago. On Mount Olympus, Zeus and announces that Clio will indeed be made to face eternal damnation, though he hesitates upon hearing the entreaties of his various wives. Medusa, a Cyclops, and a Centaur are also a part of the discussion. Long story short, Sunny climbs Mount Olympus and Clio discovers a curse was never successfully placed on them at all. Why is that, you may be wondering? It has to do with her leg warmers, and I'm not going into it. All you need to know is that Sonny and Clio's love is and has always been real. Zeus pardons Clio, Clio chooses to live as a mortal, and Xanadu opens to great acclaim. The end. When it comes to this week's research sources, when it comes to researching this week's subject, I just want to make this clear. Seeing as it will likely be a subject of M3, the movie musical man, starting June 24th via Patreon, I will hold off on sharing my thoughts regarding the 1980 film Xanadu. Rest assured, I have seen it several times. I watched it just this past week. Just for funsies. Just for funsies. This week's subject should have taken a tip from the film's earnest feel-good vibes, I will say that. Uh, let's talk about the actual sources that I did engage with, okay? So the 2007 original Broadway cast album, of course I listened to that. I also watched the 2008 Tony Awards performance of Don't Walk Away. My takeaways from this clip are as follows. 
An intro from Lily Tomlin would make a night in a dungeon seem worthwhile. If Lily Tomlin told me to smack myself in the head with a tennis racket, I would probably do it. My other takeaway, Cheyenne Jackson's legs are as thick as Redwood's, and he can break my head open like a walnut whenever he likes. My head is on the table, one way or the other, Lily, Cheyenne. But I feel Don't Walk Away is too much of a showcase for Jackson, and not enough of one for Carrie Butler, who was actually nominated for a Tony that night. On the other hand, as Tevi would say, I can't settle on a better alternative, so perhaps I should shut the heck up. Those without ideas should remain silent, huh? I should say I admire how Butler can glide backwards on her roller skates while seemingly not moving a muscle. I don't know how she's doing it. How does she do it? Strange magic. It's possible. Okay, let's talk about the YouTube upload of the full performance. I watched, okay? This is available on YouTube, the whole show, okay? Date unknown. I don't know where this falls in the overall run. Douglas Carter Bean's jokes. Let's start here. Okay, so his jokes are consistently kind of funny rather than outright funny. You think to yourself, oh, that's kind of funny. I'm sort of enjoying myself. I'm basically watching theater. I'm 30 to 40% awake. Breezy is the word I would use to describe the book, or lazy. Take your pick. <laughs> you get the sense being knocked the whole thing out over the course of a long afternoon. Let's see a joke about Scientology, a joke about Andrew Lloyd Webber, a joke that compares the spelling of Muse, M-U-S-E, to the spelling of Muse, M-E-W-S, a joke about the creative bankruptcy of jukebox musicals that will presumably absolve me from any criticism because I beat everyone to the punch. <laughs> Done! No need for a second draft. There are large egg salad sandwiches to be eaten and fart-riddled naps to be taken. Oh, my egg farts are gonna make my dog sneeze. I assume he has a dog. The actors, seemingly skeptical of the book's ability to mine laughter from the crowd, consistently goose beans punchlines by shouting or utilizing shilly voices. Uh, I'm sure Bean couldn't have cared less, considering most of the gags he wrote for Clio involve her cartoonish Australian accent, because Olivia Newton-John has a cartoonish Australian accent. Eh? Remember? Oh, no, not really, because that's not actually the case, huh? There are also quite a few plays on the inherent wackiness of a bonics. And, uh, those don't exactly play in 2020, do they? Isn't it funny when white people say things like, ooh, snap, and oh, no, you didn't, and I pity the fool. Remember when Jack would say shit like that on Will and Grace? Oh, black people normally say that shit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's have the only, you know what, let's have the only black guy in the cast say this line. Let's, 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 uh, let's reserve this line for him. The line, bitch, I don't know your life. So sassy, so sassy, so sassy. TBS, very funny. Big laugh from the majority white audience. Big laugh on that line. Maybe we could have an actor of color in a lead role. What? No, shut the fuck up. Who let you win whites up front? I don't think I'm being harsh. I think that is very much the subconscious conscious approach that this show took. Oh yeah, we'll have two black people. Yeah, in this cast of 11, what do they do? Nothing really, nothing really at all. Very much backup, very much sassy backup. Um, that's pretty much it.
Dan Natchez's choreography is, uh, I mean, I, this isn't dancing. I wouldn't call it dancing for the most part. Occasionally, someone in the cast will uh, kick up a beat of sweat, but otherwise, these are low-impact routines lifted right out of your cousin's wedding. Clio does the funky chicken while performing as part of an Andrews Sisters trio. So that's how hard we're trying. Movement is what this is. It's a lot of arms and not a lot of legs, the sort of vague gesticulation that would earn you a spot on the cheer squad's B team. And it's also slow, it's also slow. Where's the energy and precision? I can devise stronger stage pictures than what we see here. And my saying that comes from a deep, real place of confidence. Seriously, coach, let me add this material. I am ready. All told I had a fine time watching this performance. It's harmless. Cheyenne Jackson has a stellar voice and I would let him sit on my face. But the energy is way too laid back across the board and no one should have to pay Broadway prices for what feels like this much of a lark. We're really drifting into my final thoughts here. Compare Xanadu to a show like The Producers, which whips itself into a frenzy trying to justify the cost of a ticket. There's a dedication to comedic invention in The Producers that consistently blows me away. With Xanadu, the sentiment seems to have been, it's Xanadu, who cares? The movie ain't so some sacred cow, it's stupid. No one's expecting us to actually try, so why not coast on 90 minutes of snarky one-liners? We've done enough, have you? This show, this show would have been fine for a Hamburger Mary's, a Mary's Attic, or even a Second City, but adapting a uniquely batty and spectacle-driven film like Xanadu for Broadway calls for a lot more creativity and a lot less meta-theatrical eye-rolling. On a positive note, the Pegasus set piece and creature costumes from the show's latter half were welcome delights. Can we trade out the self-referential material for more of those whimsical touches? The spirit of play ages better than the spirit of a cranky comedian, Douglas Carter Bean. All right, so let's, you know, let's start walking towards the score deconstruction. And on our way there, I'll just say that to clarify an earlier comment, the show does run 90 minutes without an intermission. And I think that is smart. I think that's real fucking smart. Xanadu in any form does not need an intermission. No, 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 no. Especially if it's going to be this lightweight. And we'll be at the bar before the strike of 10. Huzzah! I'm sure everybody was real glad to go home early. Let's talk about, okay, let's start with the opening number. Why not? Let's do I'm Alive.
right off the bat, I was struck with a thought I'm sure has passed through many a mind while listening to jukebox musicals. Why? The question, really. Why am I listening to this when I could be listening to the original songs? It's the eternal question, isn't it? The shade hanging over all jukebox musicals. The genre. Do you want to hear a bunch of recent college grads sing the Billy Joel catalog, or do you want to hear Billy Joel? Do you want to hear a bunch of recent college grads sing the ABBA catalog, or do you want to hear some old school fuck yeah, fuck you ABBA? Anyone who thinks they can avoid these questions is a darn fool. The only advice I have for anyone producing a jukebox show is, if you're going to produce a carbon copy of material people adore, make sure the copy is as exact and pristine as possible. I'm really talking about instrumentally. If you put in the money and do as much as you can to recreate the sound that initially jazzed us up, we're more likely to set aside our skepticism and accept your holograms as a reality. Because let's be real, the jukebox crowd isn't interested in hot new takes or even mild variations on a beloved artist's catalog. I don't blame them. Jukebox shows are like fast food joints. There should be no room for clever invention, and I expect the flavor to be immediately and consistently familiar. You want to sell me on the cozy comforts of the familiar? Then show up. Give it to me, as every drunk white guy in the third balcony loves to shout, just play the fucking hits, man. Granted, there's nothing particularly wrong with the Broadway version of I'm Alive, but I miss the crunchy electrical buzz of Electric Light Orchestra, and I refuse to apologize for that. I'm hep, I'm an open-minded theater-goer, but at the end of the day, I want my MTV! And this just ain't the album I listened to during my sweltering outdoor Shakespeare days. No one was begging to have ELO filtered through the lens of musical theater, and the results of that experiment are unsurprisingly thin here. It feels small, and frankly a bit amateurish. Again, where are we? A drag bar just off Halstead, or big ass, hey, I'm walking here, I'm walking here, Broadway? Apparently there is no success nor joy for you nor I. And now Clio is to be granted Xanadu. Would that I were a god, I would smite her. Oh, sister, sister, you are such a another town, hit some gold, too hard to settle down. But a fool and his money soon go separate ways, and you found a fool lying in a daze. Ha ha, woman, what you gonna do? You destroyed all the virtues that the Lord gave you. It's so good that you're feeling pain, but you better get your face on board the very next train. The thing about the lyrics for Evil Woman is they have nothing to do with Melpomene and Calliope's wicked plot. Not even 
In an abstract poetical sense, Hoffman and Testa seemingly accepted that long ago, as they go out of their way to obscure the lyrics with their zany, borderline Ema Sumac vocalizing. They realize the biggest laugh they're ever going to get from this number is the one of recognition they hear after the first utterance of Evil Woman. That's your biggest laugh. Everything after that will be a matter of rapidly diminishing returns. So if you have to remain on stage for another four minutes, why not go full ham? Vamp, ladies, vamp. They deserve better. I'm fairly certain this is the scene in which Hoffman is made to deliver the line, This is like children's theater for 40-year-old gay people! <laughs> this is what they had for us in 2007. Hoffman also cracks a joke about literally chewing the scenery because we apparently cannot let that go unspoken. I have expected Douglas Carter Bean to walk on stage and take a shit while giving us the finger. We get it, Doug. You're not happy. I don't know what to tell you. I have to warn you I'm never gonna set you free Cause I was born to Love you for eternity Whenever you're away from me Wherever you go you're never far away from me I want you to know I only have to close my eyes, dear And suddenly I'm where you are You better never stay Cause I'll never be far away Roberts seems like a nice guy, despite having appeared in half a dozen Woody Allen pictures. No idea if this banal, needlessly polite sentiment of mine is actually true. Odds are he's a total monster in real life, for all I know. But we have to talk about that vibrato. That Tony Roberts vibrato. Tony, goodness gracious. Is this another example of a performer having a case of the silly willies? You going for a wacky karaoke grandpa? Or is this your actual instrument on full unironic display? Either way, it is causing my brain to rattle around in my skull if, if only a tad. <laughs> what stuck out to me about the Whenever You're Away From Me track is how flatly terrible the orchestrations sound. It's nothing but a series of tinny bleps and blarps and blurps. Since Swingin' on a Star have I heard such nonsense. This is supposed to sound like jazz, real jazz. You can't afford to produce an authentic jazz sound with real instruments? That's what I'm talking about, not out of a box. What is happening here?
stage, the dancing sequence comes and goes without leaving much of an impression. It's not nearly as wild as the one in the film, which depicts nearly a hundred under-the-cherry-moon extras mingling with glam-rock mutants straight out of Phantom of the Paradise, or to cite another movie musical fiasco from 1980, The Apple. The resulting melee is confounding and delightful, a lightly orgiastic spree that revels in sheer excess. This is why an intimate stage version of Xanadu featuring a cast of 11 simply isn't destined to pop. The Xanadu film was unafraid to risk bafflement in pursuit of spectacle. It has an entire sequence animated by Don Bluth. They dedicate an entire montage to Gene Kelly trying on clothes with the cast of Starmites. I'm talking about the movie too much. My point is, the movie goes for broke, and the stage musical thinks it's better than the movie because it's seemingly more comprehensible. I say seemingly because Douglas Carter Bean's book is far too convoluted for its own good. Don't get me started on the leg warmers crap or how Xanadu is a prize the muses fight over and turns out to be a metaphor for living your best life. That shit is packing peanuts. No one cares. Swap out the stale, panto-style zingers and try freaking me the fuck out for once. Did I mention Carrie Butler does the funky chicken as part of an Andrews sister's routine? I did? Oh, I did? Okay, well, is anyone going to explain that choice to me or not? A child and a fool in one So sure I can need no one My heart always on the run voice is fantastic, but her wink-wink, nudge-nudge imitation of Olivia Newton-John isn't comedically revealing or rewarding. We only get a bit of it in the song you just heard, Suspended in Time, and the gag isn't employed to an exhausting degree, but still, it ain't funny. Come to think of it, the only quality Butler consistently mocks is Newton-John's breathiness, which I've never noticed as being especially egregious or crazy. Lampooning a voice like Cher's makes sense, because we all accept Cher's voice as both amazing and goofy. It's a goofy voice. Newton-John, by comparison, has a more anonymous style of singing, so... What is there to parody? Not much. And so Butler is forced to stretch. Stretch for those laughs, Butler. Stretch for those laughs. Cast in general. Keep grasping at those straws. 
here to scenic designer David Gallo. The final Xanadu sequence does take a tiny step in the direction of unashamed, unabashed looniness. Yeah, maybe I'm giving him too much credit. He makes a half dozen, he makes a half dozen disco balls appear from the rafters, and that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I don't hate this show, for the record. One could read my list of minor complaints and absorb it as a generally severe dismissal, but I don't mean to be nasty. It's just, I can tell only so much effort was put into this enterprise, and it bums me out. How about another nitpick for the road, huh? This will close out our score deconstruction. The orchestrations on the Xanadu track are almost as bad as those found on the Whenever You're Away From Me track. They barely achieve the sonic value of a college jam band. Invest in your sound. My ears are hurting over here. Okay. Now, normally this is where we would get a word from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee, but we have, we actually had two brand new patrons come in this week. We had Neon, we had Christopher. So Neon and Christopher have both earned their own musical shout outs. And next week, we'll hear from the person Christopher selected, which means this week we're going to get a shout out for Neil. This is all for you, Neil. Thank you so much, Neil. It's a $5 a month donor. Ah, ha, ha. You know what that means. You know what that means coming up later. Ah, yeah, that means ah, that dictates something in our near future, doesn't it? Ooh, if you're new to the show, you may not know what I'm talking about. But let's, we'll wait. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. Take it away, musical shout out. My dears, my name's Gavroche. I am a teeny tiny pup. And by that I mean I'm a dog, or I will be one very soon. For as you see, I am changing, changing into a tiny dog. Instead of hands, I now have paws. Instead of feet, I now have paws. My ears are flappy, spotted, and fun. Look at my butt, you'll see a tail. Where I had teeth, I now have teeth. Not human teeth but canine teeth my belly's full of snossages there is a car around my neck look at the tag it says Gavroche soon I will not be able to speak this shout out is for my pal Neil he is a patron bark 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 oh no I'm losing my power of speech my fate will be forever sealed Neil please help me bark 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 fuck adopt me and buy me a tiny bed Nothing fancy, just bark, 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 with a nice bark for me to bark. Bark, 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 my dears. Final thoughts regarding Xanadu. Okay, I don't really have any. <laughs> I don't really have any. I just want to, I want to, 
I want to go after Douglas Carter Bean one last time. Because Douglas Carter Bean in this book has a running joke about how the 80s as a decade, the 80s was a steep, we saw this steep drop off in creativity and general artistic production. That's the joke. The 80s were shitty artistically. But they really do. They emphasize the, la the actual language in the jokes is there was a drop off. There was this steep downward trend. And if you have literally any working knowledge of the AIDS epidemic, <laughs> I mean, I am not out here looking to be offended, but the, the consistency of that joke, I don't think he thought of that at all. I don't think he considered that angle at all, or that audiences would, would think of it in that way. Obviously, he didn't think that. And I really don't, I don't think this is a case of me being too sensitive, but okay. Well, no, he doesn't, he didn't mean it that way. I, I know, I know he doesn't. I know he didn't mean it that way. It's just a lazy joke about the 80s being a shitty decade. It's, it's lazy and I, I would have cut it. I would have cut it. It's a fucking bad joke, and it, it really bummed it really bummed me out hearing that shit. So that's what I'll say. That's what I'll say here in my final thoughts. Now, in 2008, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was in The Heights. The additional nominees that season were Cry Baby and Passing Strange. Here's what I'll say. I will say Young Frankenstein, which is, uh, you know, that's a show that was snubbed. It was not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. I think Young Frankenstein should have been nominated in place of Xanadu. I don't think Xanadu should have been nominated at all. I mean, they're both reasonably entertaining adaptations of cult films, but the Frankenstein team bothered to write a ton of original music. That show is, I believe, 90 to 95% original, and so their work should have been recognized. Also, kick Crybaby to the curb and replace it with a catered affair. Have you ever listened to a catered affair? Not a note of it. I haven't heard a single fucking note of it, but my word is law. Get the fuck out of here, Crybaby. A catered affair. Yes. Young Frankenstein. Yes. Xanadu. No. In the Heights, obviously should have won. <laughs> obviously. I'm not going to fuck with that. Crybaby. And, I mean, Passing Strange is amazing. We've talked about Passing Strange in the past. But I, I do believe at the end of the day, that is a very close second right behind In the Heights for me. But we got to give the award to In the Heights. I hope that's consistent with what I said in the Passing Strange episode. Look, this show is going to go on for so fucking long. You really can't. You really can't guarantee. I can't. And you shouldn't expect me to be consistent. <laughs> It's just whatever my whatever my whims say to me. I, it's a battle of whims within me, I do say. Let's rank the show against all of the other musicals we've talked about here on the podcast. I'm putting Xanadu at number 40 on our list. That is between number 39, The Wedding Singer, and number 41, Shrek the Musical. I do also want to announce a change in our ranking. Okay, Grind is now at... 43. Now, normally this tweet that I always talk about is a pinned tweet, but here's the thing. It's not twin. It's not pinned. It's not twinned. It's not pinned right now. So if you go to our Twitter profile, Musical Man Pod, please follow us if you're a Twitter user. And if you want to find the current ranking of how everything compares and stacks up against each other, that tweet is in my likes right now. It's a Google sheet. You'll click through, go to the second tab. That's our full breakdown. The first tab, I never talk about the first and the third tabs. The first tab is just a full breakdown on everything 
everything we've done so far. It's a, it's a tracker of sorts. And then the third tab is all about the Snub Club. We'll talk about that in a second. We'll get to that. Show-related ephemera. Now, the best I have to offer are a couple of blank and you'll miss it moments from the TV special Making Xanadu, the musical fantasy movie, which you can watch in full online. Allow me to set the scene. This is a fully, this is a description. There is no audio really to this. A seemingly dreadful rap party. I'm setting the scene. A seemingly dreadful rap party is being thrown for the cast and crew of the 1980 film. Is the party at a hip restaurant? high-end bar or swank dance club? No, it would seem Universal was interested in saving a few bucks, so they've chosen to throw the party on set. To those of you who have seen the movie, do you remember the actual Xanadu set? That $1 million set they built, that interior? This is where the party takes place. But it's a real Hollywood party, okay? I mean, they even rolled out a nasty-ass brick red carpet for everyone who shows up. It's a real party. True. There are no paparazzi, and the studio set is surrounded by grim warehouses and pitch-black darkness. But come on, we're having fun. Someone definitely has coke. We just gotta find out who has coke. So who should roll up to this nasty-ass brick-red carpet but Kenny Ortega and Cher? Speaking of Cher, I assume this is Kenny Ortega, at least. He was one of the choreographers on the film. And someone takes the time to shout, Kenny and Cher, could you say hi to us for a sec? Kenny leans in for a handshake, but Cher is not having it. She practically recoils and runs from this interaction. Later, upon turning to realize a camera has been pointed at her, Cher's face turns to stone. It's amazing. Life drains from her eyes and every muscle goes slack. She is... She is not performing for you, fuckwad. Her agent said there wouldn't be any press at this fucking party, so fuck you, farquad, farquad, fuckwad. <laughs> Fun fact, Kenny Ortega went on to direct Cher's 1989-1990 Heart of Stone tour. That's a fun fact. Tell you what, why don't we drop in audio from a Broadway.com video I found, in which nearly everyone but James Carpinello talks about how terrible it would be to get injured while roller skating. Who doesn't like the chill of a forthcoming thunderstorm? Jackie, me, and Tony do not have to roller skate, thank God, because one fall and you're done, you know, when you're older. Well, I didn't want to go on workman's comp immediately after tech rehearsals, so I am saving the state of New York a lot of money by not getting on roller yeah, I know. My friends all wanted to see me fall on my face, but they may get that pleasure because it may happen in regular shoes. I'm a spaz to begin with, so everybody who I tell I'm doing this, I'm like, yeah, I'm on skates the whole time. They're like, what? Carrie's on skates? What are you? In this same video, Carrie Butler places the John Waters film Hairspray on the same level of quality as Xanadu. An assertion I'm sure many would contest. No one thinks the original Hairspray movie was bad, Carrie. Have you even seen the fucking movie? Shush. The big difference between the TV special Making Xanadu and this Broadway.com video is that back in the 80s, people knew how to maintain some level of dignity. Sure, Gene Kelly looks bored out of his skull during interviews, but he's going out of his way to compliment his co-stars and find value in the project. The same goes for Olivia, Michael Beck, and songwriters Jeff Lennon 
and John Farrar, no one is doing backflips to try and promote this movie, but they know it's their job to smile and remain somewhat upbeat. Compare that to the comments you hear from the cast of this Broadway musical. Everyone is trashing the original movie at the first available opportunity, and that dismissive, cynical outlook quickly bleeds into how they talk about their current meal ticket. All right, everyone, remember when the press shows up, we emphasize how the movie fucking sucks. And what we're doing is a disposable little know-nothing trifle that is maybe sort of kind of fun, whatever, who cares? Are we all on board? Fantastic. Listen up, dummies. Nobody thinks the theater kids are cool when they start rolling their eyes at theater. So be a professional and sell your damn show. Douglas Carter Bean is particularly snide. I couldn't get over this shitty attitude of his. Like, sorry you accepted the check, Doug. I know, it's such a drag to work. I'm gonna calm down and just say that at this point, normally we would, we would take a ride on the musical carousel to determine what show we discuss next, but... Of course, there is Neil. We must take Neil into account, our $5 a month patron. As a $5 a month patron, Neil was able to dictate where the musical carousel took us, takes us next week, I should say. He selected, Neil selected, the 1987 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 6,680 performances. You know what this is. If you know anything, you know what this is. It's Les Miserables. Oh my gosh. This has been really, truly a white whale of a show. Just always on the horizon. I've always wondered when this show and I would have to finally encounter each other. It's a big show. That is our subject next week. So thank you very much, Neil, for being our patron. And I hope that you enjoyed your musical shout out. And I hope that you enjoy our coverage of Les Mis next week. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. Again, starting August 2020, 100% of our payouts will be donated to Black Lives Matter. And at the top of July, we will be making one final donation, 100% of our proceeds, to the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. Now, let's talk about the tiers. You can give one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate one dollar a month, you get Monday early access to main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you so much, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Mark S., Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol for donating each and every month. You also get bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage production Emma, and a review of the stage, the online concert, I should say, Take Me to the World. You also get access to Radio Boy, a weekly short-form series for which I take a closer look at myself and the songs that make me feel more like myself. The 12th and final episode of that season, the first season of Radio Boy, drops today, Wednesday, so we are closing that out. We are moving on because we are going to be focusing on the production of M3, the movie musical man. If you donate at least $1 a month, you get everything I've already talked about plus this. It's, it's going to be a monthly show. It's going to drop every the last Wednesday of every month. And we're going to start June 24th. It's a show. Okay, so here's what it is. I'm going to be watching trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. And our first episode, the theme of that episode is Stone Cold Classics. So we're going to be talking about The Wizard of Oz. We're going to be talking about Singing in the Rain. And we're going to be talking about The Umbrellas of Shabur. That's what we're going to be doing. The Umbrellas of Shabur shall close us out for that first episode. I'm really excited, and you should be too. 
What if we moved up to the $3 a month tier? Well, you get everything I've already described, plus, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, just like the one we heard for Neil today. <laughs> you also get Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already talked about, discussed, described. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast, just like Neil just did. Be like Neil! All I ask of you, Season 1, 12 episodes, The Advice Show, hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You also get that. My series of Broadway and Chicago reviews, my ongoing series. You get that as well. And you get Shout About It Volume 1, a collection of 5, 6, 7, 8 ads and musical shoutouts from the first 25 episodes, 25 episodes of the show. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus the Snub Club. Yeah, there it is. The Snub Club, season one, 12 episodes. It's dedicated to musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. If you're listening to the show through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We got a brand new five-star review this past week. Oh, what a delightful, what a delightful thing to see a brand new review. I check that page all the time. It makes me feel so good. Make me feel good. Ooh, make me feel good. Follow us on Twitter at MusicalMan pod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. Oh, I love you, Patty and Benny. Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, well, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. Good night.